You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept feeling this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome back to another Two Bucks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and today I have Earl Stroh from Cutter Stabilizers on the podcast, and I believe I believe I, uh, I saw your page because my wife and I just started our first 3D archery league together. You know, I've shot league in the past, but she's getting done with school and residency, and she bought a new bow this year, and now she wanted to shoot league, kind of meet some new friends up by her new house and stuff, and so target archery's been on the mind, obviously, it's super fun to just look at all the new stuff out in the archery space. And that's when I stumbled across your page and I'm like, this is a really cool brand and you're doing a lot of cool things. So I thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast and kind of share your story. And with that, how are you, you know, doing today? Good. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on doing good. Finally uh, wrapped up hunting season here. I uh, just got back from a Nebraska hunt, uh, season ended the end of the year on the 31st i ended up shooting uh, my biggest whitetail buck to date on the 29th after a really long season so it's oh. pretty awesome to finally connect on one congrats yeah that's thank you man like bow hunting's hard right i mean so many people <laughs> on the outdoor channel make it look like 160s just walk out into your food plot every year and it yeah. like it is just not that case no, it's super hard. And that was my fifth trip out. It's, uh, I figured about 3,100 miles I put on my truck going out there and back. Um, yeah, started out right around Halloween and hunted that week, hunted the first week of November, hunted the first week of December, and then went back out, uh, a little, little late season action. I'd actually put away all my stuff because that last, first week of December, I didn't see a single deer in almost three days of hunting. So it was oh just gosh. like, it's not in the cards, you know, it's freezing my butt off out here and didn't see a single freaking deer and went home, put away all my crap, did all my laundry and you know, got, you know, three weeks of season left. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave that out there on the table, you know? So I ended up going out and, uh, first, the evening of the first day, um, this buck that we had on camera one time all season ended up came, coming in right at last light. Shot him at 13 yards, and he went 178 inches. Wow, that's incredible. So <laughs> you must awesome, be yeah. from, like, the Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri ring, somewhere around there? So we're in Colorado. We're in Colorado. Denver. Oh, one, yep. that was one off. Okay, so you're going yep. east to find, like, whitetail ground, basically. Yep. Yeah, there's whitetail in Colorado. It's just uh, it's all the eastern side of the state, and it's mm-hmm. all private, and um, – haven't really branched out to to figure access and all that stuff out out there. You know, we've got three different properties in Nebraska that we're able to hunt. Um, nice. So we just we do that, and um, we're still trying to figure something out here in Colorado. But it's all uh, it's a draw process, you know. Yeah. So it takes preference points. You get a point per year, and to get into some of those good eastern state eastern side of the state units is three or four years you know where that that nebraska is just an over-the-counter tag nice is that like family farms then growing up or or how did you find places to to get out in nebraska 
Yeah, so my business partner, Brandon, um, he was lucky enough to, to marry into a family that had some land out there. So we got uh, we got his uh, father-in-law's farm and then a couple buddies. You know, it's it's kind of cool. Nobody really bow hunts out there. So we have a lot of the season all to ourselves. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, when they got married, you just said, I'm a package deal, just so you know. I'm <laughs> exactly. happy for your love, but, like, this <laughs> yep, is business. I need, I need tree stands, right. like. That's right. Ask these yep. important questions before you you buy a ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Man, yep. you made out you know the it. best. I know. Well, that was the thing is, you know, this was the first year that I really decided that I was going to shoot one of four deer. We had four shooters on camera. Okay. You know, previously, this is only like my seventh year whitetail hunting, so I just I'm newly addicted to it. But you know, previously, it's you know, a mature eight point is. It's on the ground. It's dead. Right. But um, this year, I really made an effort to hold out for for one of those bigger deer. And it's kind of funny. I was spending most of my time hunting this this big eight point. You know, it's 150 inch eight point. You know, nice deer for Nebraska. Nice deer for really anywhere. Right. But um, we had that. Uh, he's actually a 14 point. He's uh, we had him on camera one time. It was um, October 28th, so I didn't even know if he was a resident deer. We thought he was just kind of, you know, in the area for the rut. Um, didn't see another st- single picture of him until I shot him that night on the, you know, third to last day of the season. So it was a pleasant surprise. I didn't even know it was that deer until I walked up on him. Wow. That's, you know, that, how lucky, I mean, you obviously put in, in an, like insurmountable amount of time and so it's not luck you were there you did all the right things but just like the number of times that we've had a trail camera picture of like a single buck and never saw that deer again with like seven people hunting a farm right like they just they don't go where you want them to ever like (laughs) unless you're like the juries that that they just make it work and I'm sure, sure they, if they had it on the podcast, they'd say, no, man, we don't just make it work. It's a, it's hard too. you know, it's always hard, but oh, yeah, they just like, you know, to have that one picture and then he comes back right at the last, like pretty much the last moment. Like if yeah, we're being know, honest, it was very lucky. four yep. months long season and you had two days left in yep. the season. Yeah. That's that very is lucky for sure. Awesome. Yep. But like I was talking to a couple of buddies about that and that type of buck, you know, five year old or older buck. Yeah. He's one that you either kill on your first sit of the season because you know exactly where he's going to be, or you sit your ass in that tree for four months and hope to get lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose it's, you it's won't. It's kind of a one or the other. <laughs> it's it is. I mean, it's it is. Um, we've done it a couple times, um, picked out specific deer, but I typically like. I would say I'm a typically I'm a flock hunter. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of have a threshold and, and, and kind of like you alluded to, like, you know, mature for us at our farms, like three year old that try to be more on the four year old side, but typically I'm not picking on a specific buck and hunting it because we just have what we have. We have our farm, some bucks move in, some bucks move out. I can't like, if he leaves, I can't follow him to the neighbors. Right. You know, so it's kind of hard sometimes, but this year, last few years I've picked bucks and, and unfortunately they didn't play it, read the script. And I was, you know, 50 yards short of taking out, not as big as your buck by any means, but probably a 160 to 165 10-pointer. Yeah, it's right. a heck of a deer still. 50 yards away. You know, and it took uh, from it's getting... tough, man. And I was, I had three opportunities 
to shoot that big eight and it just never came together. You know, the, the first one was the first sit of my season. I had him long story short. I did a hanging hunt with a saddle. It was my first day hunting with a saddle and I put myself in a tree that didn't give myself very many good shooting lanes. Oh. I had him at 20 yards for a minute and a half and I didn't have a shot. Oh, wow. Um, and then I saw him two more times, had him at 50 yards on the other side of the river bottom that didn't give me a shot. And it was just, you know, it's, it's frustrating because yeah. it, it was tough to tough to have it that close, but not quite, you know. Yeah. And well, it turned out in the end, I mean, a buck of a lifetime. Hopefully not. Hopefully you find a bunch more like that. But for the average yeah. hunter to be knocking on the oh, door 100%. of 180, I don't suppose Yo, you'll yeah. keep those antlers, you know, at all. It's probably cut them off no i actually the just chopped them up and gave them to my buddy's dog yeah yeah yeah, yeah. dog juice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no That's we're doing awesome. a, i'm gonna do a uh do a wall pedestal with them should look really cool i did a wall pedestal with an elk one time mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for how much space they take up especially like yeah. an elk i mean it takes up like a yep. four by six no, foot sure. area but man does yep. it show the animal really well yeah i think you're gonna love it yeah and it's just it's super cool. And I'm going to do the same angle that he was because he was looking back over his shoulder at me when I drew 13 freaking yards away. He's yeah. probably going to see you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm excited to get that back. I mean, it just, it sucks. It's going to take a year to get the dang thing, but well, whatever. hopefully do you have the skull cap? At your I house? do. Yeah. 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 At least you mm-hmm. can get the skull cap. I mean, you want to, yep. you get a set of antlers like I that. Know. It's hard to just leave them at some dude's house for 12 months. Yeah, that was, that was not happening. <laughs> so I made sure to get that. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, so you're from Colorado. You said you're newer to whitetail hunting. So you, I'm assuming yep. you grew up doing more of the Colorado, like elk, mule yep. deer, antelope, mountain hunting. And yeah. So like, this is my, this is my 21st season bow hunting and this is my seventh season whitetail hunting. So okay. I've been it's kind of the opposite. You know, I have these, these dreams of going out East and hunting whitetails and all these guys are you know, flocking over here to hunt the elk, the mule deer and the antelope. And, right. you know, I, at this point in my, my hunting career, I'm totally okay with putting the Western stuff on hold to go chase whitetails. Yeah. Well, you get the lucky part of it, man. Like coming East to hunt, you probably don't feel like it. But I would rather hunt elk on weekends and make a whitetail trip than hunt whitetails on weekend and only get to do one elk trip. Sure. You know. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because like I feel that there's so much prep that goes into a successful whitetail season that True. The chances of you going out for a day or two days or three days and shooting a, a big deer is very small. Whereas there's so much public ground here in Colorado, yeah. you can go out, do your e-scouting, get into an area where they're living, and and get get lucky. You yeah, know? I see what you're it's saying. It's just it's the driving part, you know. And yeah, going into a whitetail spot where you have zero intel, I mean, shoot, like I said, we saw that deer one time. How the heck is a 180 inch deer living in a 200 acre property and you see him one time? You know, it's just they're they're so good at living in small areas where these elk you know two miles in a day is is nothing it's like you walking out your front door you know so there's there's that side of it too and don't get me wrong like i I love elk hunting it's it's super fun um antelope hunting is also it's a blast you know and that's those are those over-the-counter opportunities that you just 
get a couple buddies and yeah. take a week off work and get in the truck and go, you know, and it's, Oh yeah. It's a super cool experience to, to be able to do that. But it's also very different. You know, it's a different skill set. You know, oh. I think elk, elk hunting is checkers where whitetail hunting is chess. You know, it's, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. And archery hunting antelope is just pure insanity. That's terrible. It's the dumbest thing you could ever do with a bow. <laughs> Unless you sit ground blinds on water, but that doesn't, that's not my yeah. imagination. That's not what I picture. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've done it before and it's very similar. Like we go down and we hunt uh, Texas for whitetails a bunch and, you know, October time frame. it's, you know, 95 degrees and 90% humidity. It's, you know, 0% humidity and 120 degrees in the blind for antelope. So it's just, it's tough to sit there for 14 hours in 120 degree heat. Yeah, no, I, no, thank you. Um, I will spot and stock you. But I was curious. So it was cutters, the cutter stabilizers, was that born before like the whitetail bug bit you? And of like a, you know, your, your logo is obviously an antelope. Was that kind of started yep. on the Western hunting side of things or For did sure. it show? Yep. Okay. Was it hunting or was it yep. target? Cause it can go both ways. It was hunting. So okay. that's, that's, let's kind of take a step back here and look at like how I. This episode is brought to you by Steelhead Outdoors. From the moment I first saw a Steelhead Outdoors safe, I knew I was going to order one. The ability to customize the color, the configuration, and most importantly, the ability to move and assemble my safe panel by panel makes Steelhead Outdoors the clear winner when it comes to gun safes. And if you haven't ordered a Steelhead Outdoor gun safe yet, you can still benefit from their innovation and creativity because the guys over at Steelhead have designed some awesome accessories. Their case keeper allows you to hang all of your hunting caps and gun cases off the side of your safe, and it keeps your hunting room looking clean and organized. Or my favorite is the bow keeper that lets me hang my bow off the side of my safe so me and my wife can walk into our safe room, hang up our bows after shooting in the backyard, and not have to worry about the hassle of putting our bows back in the case every time. Both the bow keeper and case keeper are magnetic and work with any safe, which means you can use them now with your current safe, and when the time comes to order your Steelhead Outdoors gun safe, you'll already have all the accessories you need. Head over to SteelheadOutdoors.com to order your bow keeper and case keeper today. I wanted to build this brand. Sure. Um which in all reality, in the hunting side of things, it's, it's brands that are selling. It's not, not products. You know, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good products out there, but if you don't have a brand that people recognize and appreciate and respect, you're not going to sell a stinking thing. So that was one of the things that I really wanted to focus on was building a stabilizer that was for hunters first, you know, 95% of these stabilizer brands are target first and hunting is an afterthought. You know, let's let's chop our target bars down and market them for hunting. It's it's just it is how it is. You know, big money's in the target side, but I've never been a target guy. I've always been a, a bow hunter, so I wanted to do something that was for the bow hunter by the bow hunter. You know, in had everything that we needed, which is is very different than target. You know, we right. need durability, we need forgiveness, we need lighter weight components we need things that are going to help us so the the cutter idea the reason that we use the antelope is that's kind of where i realized that i needed 
a smaller diameter stabilizer. You know, I was shooting at an antelope at like over 70 yards in a 30 mile an hour crosswind and getting blown all over the place. There's got to be something here. You know, there's micro diameter arrows and they do better in in a crosswind. Why wouldn't that apply for a stabilizer? So that was, uh, that was the first step to the puzzle is figuring out how we can make a sub half inch diameter stabilizer stiff enough and, super lightweight to stand up to a hunting application. The second step was how do I get all this stuff to be sourced hundred percent from within the U S which every single component piece part and process is from within our country and supporting American manufacturing, which I was not going to do without achieving that goal. Right. That's awesome. I mean, that's, it's hard. Like it's, it is, it's hard to not like, it's not hard to just say, well, it's going to cost more. Right. Well, it yep. is going to cost more, but like not everything is typically made in America, unfortunately. Right. Like, yep. thank God you don't have electronics on board because you'd oh, be yeah. sunk. Mm-hmm. You know, there's right. yep. silicon's made in China. There's like the way it is. And so like, yeah, you're like, oh, I need this part. And there's a bunch of them in China. And there's I can't even find one, regardless of how much it costs here. Like, yep. you have to make new stuff or have companies like exactly willing to make new stuff for you, which is not easy either. <laughs> How no, many of these yeah, do you want? Was, like, yeah, like 100? Yeah, yeah. no thanks. <laughs> yeah, there was one point where I had purchased every stainless steel set screw in the entire country, and it wasn't enough to fulfill my order. Like, you know, there's just not a lot of places that are making this stuff here. And um, Oh, because, you know, like, the black oxide would cause, like, rust issues. Like, st- you wanted stainless so it wouldn't have any. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so the majority of our hardware is uh, is stainless unless it's visible, which then we go to black oxide because you know bow hunters don't like shiny things. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely had its challenges, but to me it was the non-negotiable. You know, there's there's to my knowledge, I don't know of any other companies that are um, in the stabilizer game that are 100% U.S. made and manufactured. So I, I take great pride in that and making that uh, a reality. Oh yeah. Anything American made, I mean, like, my beard oil company is American assembled, right? Like, I buy all mm-hmm. the natural pro- raw products, mix them all together, bottle, label, everything. That's all done in America. But a lot of the oils are not coming from America. So it's like sure. a lot of companies will play nuances mm-hmm. with that whole made in America or American made um, title. And a lot of people say, oh, it's made in America, right? Like, I put it together in America, which yep. is better you know, it's a step closer, sure. but you're still using a bunch yeah. of stuff from overseas, right? So there's levels to it. And to do say, totally. like, yeah, everything is completely from the U.S. is a, yep. a huge accomplishment. It is. And it was also a pivotal factor in how we were able to grow as well as we did. Yeah. So um, we launched the company in uh, June of 2019. Um, then COVID hit in 2020. And all of these other carbon products are imported. So they were waiting on stuff. We weren't waiting on anything. We were full speed ahead. Didn't have to wait on import times and people are looking for stuff to do outside. So it was uh, it was a very perfect storm of growth to happen. So we jumped up both in revenue and in brand recognition super quickly. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And um, as far as, you know, the, the pandemic went with affecting things, I think I think it was a good thing for the growth of, of Cutter. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, unfortunately, not a lot of people can say the same thing. 
but it's good right. that it worked out for you and um it's good that it worked out for the business that way and so now you've got four seasons five get, i suppose you're about to complete your fifth year right june 2024 yep. would be your fifth yep. year and so things are really well established and you got lots of products but let's like maybe take a quick step back and just describe like what is besides the micro diameter like what is something someone's going to notice with a cutter stabilizer versus like let's go to the extreme example where they're like i don't know i found this like 20 dollar rubber thing at the archery store and i screwed it into my bow like sure you know, what is somebody going to notice that's different between a high quality stabilizer versus you know, maybe the four inch rubber thing that they picked up. Because I remember when I switched to a target bar with some weight, I was like, Oh my God, this is like a different oh, yeah. bow. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's first just glance over what a stabilizer's job is, right? It should number one stabilize, which that's in the name. Number two, it should have some form of vibration dampening. Yeah. Those, uh, little rubber dampeners, they don't offer the, the stabilizing side, right? So, in a perfect world, a stabilizer, the rod itself would weigh nothing and we would have weight on the end. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we can't have something that weighs nothing. So we took it upon ourselves to make that bar weigh as little as possible. So like between our shortest hunting bar and our longest hunting bar, which is a six inch and a 15 inch, there's one ounce of difference. So our shortest bar is 1.9 ounces our longest bar is 2.9 ounces. So uh, re remarkably light. Right. Um, then you take the option to add that external weight. So you can screw the weights into the end. All of that gives you the ability to balance your bow exactly how you personally need it to balance. So it's right. all modular, right? We do one ounce increment weights. Um, and then we took, drives me nuts, right? Because we have several other micro diameter bars on the market. They have a big rubber dampener on the outside of the bar. Yeah. What is the point of making the bar small if you're going to put something gigantic on the outside to, you know, get rid of vibration? So we took all of our vibration dampening material, housed it inside of that super small carbon bar. So we fully get to utilize that small footprint and get the best uh, aerodynamic properties available. So take all that and throw in you know high modulus carbon so for any hunting application up to i'd say eight ounces of weight those those bars with that carbon are going to be phenomenal for any hunting application okay yeah that's interesting because i was thinking about my bar and you could probably guess it's one of the most common you know entry-level brands out there it's a 10 inch bar i got discs on the end so yeah the bar is small but like you said i got a can out on the end that's probably you know the size of a, a baseball almost. Oh, shit. <laughs> we had a camera malfunction. Text. Sorry, dude. Oh, did it vibrate and fall over? That it sure did. Uh, that's okay. Uh, real life. Yep. This is the real life. But, yeah, like you said, it's got that big rubber dampener with the, you know, discs. Um, and so it's, like, I haven't noticed it yet, but when you say that, it's starting to click in my mind. Like, that's why my bow moves it, like, it's like the opposite at that point. Like when I start and I shoot indoors with this big stabilizer, like it's hard to move your pin. Like that's the point. Your pin moves slower. Yep, yep. Well, when you're in the wind, it's like, man, this thing's like faster. Like, and it's not like, it just feels goofy. Right. Cause it's coming from the end of your right. bow. And so yep. it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, but I'm shooting, I think a 12 inch bar 
with three or four ounces out front, and then I have like a six inch back bar with like six or eight ounces. So my bow yep. in my hand almost wants to rise up. Sure. So I don't because Which I was good. having a problem yep. almost like I couldn't get my pin up to the target. And I was I was an, an idiot. I didn't know anything. I'm just shooting this paper league, right? And I'm trying to just get keep my point was to keep my shoulder in shape over the winter. Sure. And so I'm, but then once you shoot paper league, then you put a score to it, and everyone wants a better score. And so I'm asking questions, and these these guys that have been shooting their entire lives, so, you know, retired guys at the shop are like, well, yeah, if you can't, like, I'm telling them, like, man, it's like hard to get my pin up. Like, you guys have that problem? And like, well, no, but you're that's because you got too much front weight. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> you know, I didn't have, yep. know anything, and so they're like, yeah, here we did a bunch of stuff, yep. and all of a sudden it's like, whoop, too much. Now I can't bring my pin. You know, now my pin wants to float away on me. And so we fine-tuned right. it, now my bow just sits where it wants to be. But the difference that made on an indoor range was phenomenal. But now I'm thinking, like, yeah, if you're antelope hunting and you had, like, a, a normal Wyoming wind at, you know, 30 miles an hour, that thing's going to be blown sure. all over the place. You better almost be better to take it off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, that's another thing that we've seen and that I think the, has helped us as far as the brand is I take a lot of pride and I take a lot of time into that educational side of it. You know, the, the back bar, the dual stabilizer system is still fairly new for the hunting side of things. I Um, have never seen anyone that I archery hunt with, which is like, I don't know, probably I've hunted from anywhere from like a dozen to two dozen different people. I think I've had one person had a back bar and he was like an archery fanatic. Yeah, it's crazy. And, um, so we've gone to a couple, we like to go to like the tack events and like that style of event. Right. And. Um, I'll always ask people, it's like, do you know why people put two bars on their bow? And I got it. I have no idea. Does it look, it looks cool. You know, or something like that, you know, <laughs> and I'll kind of run them through it. And you know, the easiest way that I, I like to explain it is number one, all of your accessories are mounted on one side of the bow, right? Sight, rest, quiver, all that stuff. Yeah. The natural tendency of the bow is to want to tip to that side. So we have two options. We can apply a bunch of hand torque to get that bubble level to sit in the middle for us, which obviously hand torque isn't repeatable. If you've ever tried to, you know, broadhead tune your bow and you put hand torque in, it makes it a mess. So the other option is to put a stabilizer on that side to offset those accessories. The second benefit is like you mentioned, you can stabilize that bow forward to backward laterally or sorry, vertically. Right. So having that it's a natural tendency for every bow, every archer is to drop out of the bottom of the target because gravity exists, right? It's pulling us down. It's always going to be easier to go with gravity. So adding more weight to the back of your bow is going to push that pin upwards. So that's, it's, it's good that you were able to discover that because that's a fairly, fairly good starting point, you know, two times the amount of weight on your back bar that you have on the front. So that's generally where, where I'll start people out. If they got three on the front, they should start with six on the back. Yeah. And your back bar is typically shorter too. Depends. So I mean, unless you're like a, like a, a lot of target target archers have really long back bars, but yeah. So the question that, that I like to ask is, would you rather have a lighter overall bow or a more compact overall bow? Yeah, you think about the length of the lever, right? The yeah. longer the lever, the less weight we need. So you see a lot of guys out here that have the longer bars. You know, 15 front and a 12 back is a fairly common application for Western hunting. 
that's because you can get away with maybe six total ounces of weight on those bars. Whereas if you had an eight off the front and a six off the back, you're going to need closer to double that. Right. But if you're hunting in a ground blind or a box blind every single day, trust me, I've done it. A 15 inch bar in a box blind is a pain in the ass. And, um, don't get me wrong. I've shot uh, two deer in Texas out of box blinds with that 15 inch bar sticking out the front window. So you can do it, but it just becomes a little bit more cumbersome. I had a, uh, I think it was actually dough. And I was sitting with my wife, um, girlfriend at the time and I drew back and then I had to wait, almost spilled water. Um, and then I had to wait, like as soon as I drew back, this deer just turned front, um, to us, head down, like I'm facing us, like full frontal. Yep. I'm like, oh, I'm not shooting a full frontal. That's a terrible idea. And so I'm sitting there, and then I'm like, oh, hey. And my bar, the big rubber donut on my bar was at the perfect spot where I just, like, lowered my bow and just rested <laughs> that on the windowsill. And I just waited. Yep. And then she turned sideways, like, two minutes later, and I lifted up and thwack, got her. Yep. Um, but that's the only time it's ever come in as like a clutch every other time it's draw back and thunk, you hit the, the mm-hmm. metal on the and then everything's over so and sure, that's only yeah. a 10 inch i can't imagine a 15 inch bar right and that's uh yeah personally that's kind of my go-to i do a 15 off the front and a 10 off the back um just so i can keep the bow lighter overall you know and that's um that's the easiest way to decrease the overall weight of your bow. Number one, our stabilizers are ridiculously light, so that helps a lot. But lengthening that lever will allow you to take some of the weight off of off of the end there. You know, there's there's a reason target archers are shooting with you know thirty inch front bars. Yeah, but target bows are also pretty heavy. I mean, some they of are, them can be sure. super heavy. I had one guy I had oh, a bow absolutely. and he had a sidebar. He wanted hand torque. I don't know, this is his style, but he wanted his bow to turn away or turn into his grip, so his, I don't know what he was trying to do. If you're looking forward to another fall of hunting big bucks, but you're tired of freezing your tail off or getting busted by does, head over to maverickhunting.com and check out their Maverick and Booner blinds. Both series are incredibly easy to set up and get out in the woods. I set up two of the six panel blinds in the same week. And whether your favorite spot is on a field edge or way back in the sanctuary, you can have a hard-sided blind in your favorite spot this season. Keep the elements out and you're sent in with a Maverick hunting blind. The best part is Maverick blinds ship out of their factory in just one or two days, which means you still have plenty of time to get a comfortable blind set up before the cold weather arrives and those big bucks are cruising through your spots. Go to maverickhunting.com and use the code WESTERNROOKIE, that's one word, to save 10%. That's right, 10% on your Maverick hunting blinds. He was a really good shot, way better than me, so maybe I should have listened. But he wanted to turn his hand closed against that bow and then find that that sweet balance point. And I was like, that seems like way out of my pay grade. I just want to hit the yellow. Yeah, target archery is crazy, man. Yeah, (laughs) I got a couple couple buddies that that are... fairly high level target shooters and um one extreme example is one of my buddies has a 30 inch front bar with 18 ounces of weight on the front and 39 ounces on his back bar that's insane that's a lot of weight it's a lot of freaking weight right yeah i mean that's not ounces that's pounds like we're now talking about three and a half pounds crazy yep It's, it's insane and you know that's like i said that's never been my game so i i rely on my team for for the knowledge there but um 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's different for everyone, right? And finding the set the setup that works the best for you. Like I, I hunted whitetail all year with that 15 inch front bar out of tree stands and out of the saddle, and you know, I never had an issue with it. So, you know, a lot of times people will, will say that oh, it's it's too long. You know, if your arrow is always going to be sticking out farther than that when you have an arrow knocked. Number one. Right. Number two, for hiking around in the woods and squeezing through tight spots. If I'm worried about a half inch, 15 inch bar going through a hole in the brush, my big ass probably isn't going through there either. You I would, know what I mean? I would actually say the opposite. I like having, once I put the bar on my bow, it's a lot, I enjoy it more because it gives me like a unique handle for a lot of different sure. things. I yep. can hang it on a branch a lot easier. Um, yep. I can put it across my shoulders and hold on to that bar. There's a lot of cool things I can do that I never could do Definitely. with my short little, you know, rubber waste of money. For sure, yeah. So I like it. I like it a lot. Um, now, I think it's kind of like tall people just know when they instinctively know when they have to duck. Like you just, mm-hmm. you learn where the limit is enough and you get used to it. And then you just sure. adapt. You know, like, oh, when, right. I, when yep. I do this in the tree stand, I got to, you know, go up and over. Or around. You just figure it out. I don't think it's that much of sure. an issue. But, yep. but when it comes to, you know, so... Before someone gets their cutter stabilizer in the mail, obviously, you have to build it, you have to design it, and so I'm guessing there was a heavy round of prototyping, trial and error, you know, does this component right, is that component right, but you get it all said and done. Like, you go through that iterative process, you find this stuff, but now you've made it. You decided what you want. What's, like, the next step in, like, getting that out there? Because... I've found, and a lot of people that we've talked to on the show, the easiest part actually turned out to be designing the product. Yeah. Like, that was a straightforward, like, it might not have been cheap, it might have not have been fast, but it was a straightforward, you know, process. They knew what they had to do. And then a lot of people either take one or two routes. They're instinctive product market marketers and branding folks, um, or they're not. And I'm in the not. I'm an engineer. And so then yep. they're like, I don't know, what. it's hard to it's hard to get it out there. Like I, you know, that the, that is by far the challenging part. Like you said earlier, like it's not the product, it's the brand. And so how yeah. did you go like, Hey, we got a We've got a really good product here. We've got some, we we found something with this. What did you do with it then? Like, how did you get in the last four years to where you are today? Yeah. So going back to the beginning, I'll preface this with before I started cutter, I worked in the, um, the automation industry. I was building robotic systems okay. um, in a machine shop. So I had a good foundation of that side of it. Um, I would say that my strength is always in the creative realm of things. So writing blogs, writing articles, designing content, doing video stuff, all that stuff is fun to me, you know? So I was in a very unique place with a, with a mechanical background but with also the enjoyment of the creative side so i find this i find this product and i find that there's there's a a hole in the market for this product Mm -hmm. both in the product itself and the knowledge of how this can help normal everyday bow hunters find success more often you know so i've always been you know, over the counter public land type of hunting. So I'm not, I'm not fine. It's 7% success rate here in Colorado for archery with a bow for uh, over yeah, the counter. It's low. It's, 
it's very low. And I realized that in the beginning, you know, one week a year, that's, that's very realistic. That's what most people are able to spend out hunting, you know? So it was creating this brand of recognizing and understanding that people are spending their hard earned money on these products for this very, very short window of time to do what they love. And making sure that these products are the absolute best that they can possibly be to fit that window and make sure that they can solely focus on what they're out there to do, which is, you know, notch a tag, not worry about their, their gear, letting them down, which is the absolute worst thing. If you're out in the woods and your gear fails you and your one week of vacation is wasted, that's, it's a damn shame. So making sure that that wasn't going to happen and really marketing to that type of person that number one cares about their setup, right? We're not very rarely we're selling to the guys that are showing up a week before season and say, Hey, I need a new bow. I got a bow hunt coming up. You know what I mean? It's, it's the guys that are, that are taking the time in the off season to, to learn their bow, to hone their craft and, they want the best possible gear available and the most precise, most durable gear available. Um, and then also knowing that it's coming from within our country and supporting our economy. It's that it was, it's an easy sell, you know? <coughs> yeah, no, that's, um, it definitely makes it a lot and a lot easier of a conversion process, right? To get, because that's what every, every sale is a, a process of converting someone from like your idea to how it can help them, you know, to, are they willing and able to pulling the trigger? Right. Yep. And so when you can stack all of those things, like, you know, I've been there before I've done hunts and man, like when something wasn't quite right with my bow, like I didn't really like the way it was shooting. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd kill an elk at 20 but I don't know if I'm going to take a 60-yard shot this week. Like, you know right. that feeling where you're just like, ah. Yep, totally. It's uh, terrible. Like, it's like you every step terrible. through the woods, you're terrified that an elk's going to walk yeah. out at 60, and you're going to have to make that choice. Or you're going to send an arrow, and, you know, it's not going to land where you wanted it to. It's yep. it's awful. So I get it. I definitely get that. Um, so once you kind of knew, like, what you wanted to build, was there a big gap between, like, I know the brand I need to build and then actually getting there, like getting that that brand to be recognized on the other end of the conversation with the consumer, like to get them to understand what your brand is. Like, is there, seems like that could be um, the, like a big, like disconnect of like. For sure. Right. And you're um, the biggest, biggest hurdle I would say is just time. You know, we're going against quote unquote titans of industry, you know, that have been in, been here since the beginning. You know, it's, you know, Bee Stinger is the Kleenex of stabilizers. You know, it's it's just, it is what it is. They've been around for so long that it's it's become a household name. And it just takes time to, to get to that point. And, you know, most small businesses are not around, I think it's like three years as, as the normal lifespan of a small business between startup and the end of it. So finding ways to be stubborn enough to make sure that you do succeed is is huge and um constantly improving the products coming out with new products that are not just skew fillers but are actually useful to the industry you know so like our we didn't start out with a a back bar bracket and with the front quick disconnect you know those were 
those were introduced later on down the line as, you know, solutions to problems that I felt existed with what was currently on the market. Yeah. So showing that, that we are, we, we are walking the walk as well, you know, going to these events, no, none of these other companies are going to tack and sitting there and talking to 2000 people over a weekend and, and sharing knowledge with them. You know, it's, it's super important to me to, you know, share the, the knowledge that I've gained over these 15 years of, of working on bows and being in the bow shops and, you know, seeing these, these problems that these customers have and teaching them how to fix them. It yeah. was, it was, it's very empowering for someone to, to learn that stuff. You know, it's just the, you know, the teach a man to fish thing, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like, it felt different. It felt like I was more in control when I started learning why, like the why things were happening when I was shooting, like why I couldn't get my pin up and, and then, well, it's because of this and that and the other thing and then how to fix them. You know, that's the why and the how are important. I think one of the things you kind of touched on a little bit, you know, with the companies that are in there, they just, they just sell the what, right? They're just, yep. here's the, you need a stabilizer. There's a bunch of stabilizers. They're on the shelf. Sure. They're never say they're never really talking about the why or the how you don't, you, there's no person, there's no Earl on the other side of the product that, like you said, is out there like, yeah, this is why here, try this, this, and this. And, and then they go yep. out and shoot another 50 attack and like, holy crap, my score jumped up by like 15, 20%. Isn't oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, yeah, well, yep. it is. that's the why. <laughs> and the yeah, how, you it's know. super cool, man. You know, like we'll have, we'll have guys that'll come in and come to the booth and get bars at the beginning of the day. And then they come back and their freaking face is lit up and like, Oh, I smoked all my buddies. They're all pissed now is the best. You know, and then just, you sell four so more cool bars. To, <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's so cool to, to see that, you know, these guys are, are feeling it and seeing it firsthand, you know, and there's, pl- there's plenty of products out there that, that people are blowing smoke up your ass just to get a sale, you know, and, and stabilizers is definitely not one of those things. It's just, it's getting past that preconceived notion of, I'm just adding more junk to my bow for no reason. And, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely not the case. So I would say the number one factor to, finding success with building a brand is learning how to relate to your customers. Oh yeah. And then I imagine, you know, the, to build like a truly iconic brand, it takes a lot, right? There's never going to be one successful thing, but I think in, in every recipe, consistency and repetition are like the things you measure out with the cups, not the teaspoons. Exactly. You know, yep. like, and having a having a good logo really helps. Yeah, I got really lucky with that logo. I I'm pretty stoked on that. I still love it every time I look at it. I was like, that's a freaking cool logo. Yeah. How did you come up with the name Cutter? Um, so antelope the prongs on the front of their horns, they're oh, called cutters duh. is another name for them. I've but, always called them diggers. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's several different names for them, but that was like one of our first like taglines was cut the wind cut the weight sacrifice nothing so oh cutting through the wind being the smaller diameter so it's, it's just a little play on words there oh yeah that's pretty sweet it all ties together though i mean that's like a good brand really does all tie together i mean i don't know what kind of saddle you you run you talked about saddle hunting but like tethered for yep. example 
yep. really hit the nail on the head with their title. Because, like, what do you yep. want to – if you're going to be hanging from a tree, like, you really want to make sure you're tethered to that thing. Sure, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, and so I think there's a lot of cool brands like that. Um, the Western space seems like there's a lot of cool ones, like Onyx, mm-hmm. Go Hunt, like yep. these brands that really nailed it when they – Yep. They came out with their stuff, and then cutter stabilizers, same thing. Like, it's really interesting. I went maybe more surface level with all of my stuff, and it's like, yeah, it works. You can either be really – I feel like you can be really innovative with your name, which helps, never hurts. Or you can just spend a lot of time getting people to recognize the other, just the your name for what it is, you know? Yep. And so, like, I did – my product is Bull Elk Beard Oil. Just – Nice. I don't know, just – that's what I love. Yeah, that's cool. it's got the elk mm-hmm. logo. I did all that stuff. It really doesn't like it's not that next level deep like Cutter or Tethered. You know some of these other brands that have like layers to their branding and their logo and their sure. image, but it's all right. You know it's no, it's cool. It still is. Once I started coming up with like the podcast names, then I started thinking things through a little bit more. Yeah, and that's how it's I got tough, to it. man. Branding stuff is is one of the hardest things that there there is to do. Um, and there's really no shortcut to it. You either got to pay someone a big fat pile of money to do it for you, or you got to sit and beat your head against the wall for a while and hope it comes to you. Well, and what I don't like, and it's probably just my nature, everything else I do is like, there's one way to do it. Like I'm an engineer, Mm -hmm. like math, like there's pretty much one way to do math. Like, yeah, Yeah. there's a different couple different ways you can add up two numbers, but there's only one answer. And right. there's, yep. a, there's totally. like a set of scripts you could use or formulas that you can use and you'll get the right answer. Right. That's with a lot of things. Designing a product. Like you need, you know, a bottle, you need a dropper, you need the oil, you need the you know ratio of the mixture. If you never change the ratio, the scent will never change. Got that locked down. You can learn that stuff. There's a tons of resources yep. out there. Branding, I feel like, is the opposite. It's an art. There's no right answer. There's no great place to go learn it other than doing it. Right. And they, you don't like learn it, teach it. You, this doesn't come naturally to me anyway. Like, no. that's why I'm wondering if it's like you're going to be a class in high school, like branding, social media, digital advertising, content creation. Like these are just electives in the future because it's yeah. almost, unless you be. just go get a job, they're all required. Sure. Yep. Yeah. I think it's going that way a bunch um, amongst a bunch of other weird shit. that's going to be starting to get taught in high schools, but, uh, I mean, it's tough, man. And, you know, that's that side of it for sure. And it takes time and it takes creativity. And that that brain skill set is is definitely something that you either have it or you don't, you know. Yeah. And one of the things I like about the brand that you guys have built is you have a lot of social credibility. Like you, you have a lot of people like I can scroll through the cutter page and I can see people I recognize shooting their bow with a cutter stabilizer on it, whether it's the you know a 15 inch or a 10 inch or whatnot. Like, oh, I know that yep. person. I know that person. I know that person. It's like, oh, I was talking to that person yesterday. You know, you, you have a lot of social credibility. What's the process for a brand? And a lot, I think a lot of the brands. Actually, I'm looking at two people right now that I'd, I've had conversations with both of them. I met that person on a mountain, in <laughs> we're just hunting the same mountain together. Um, but what's the process for like getting a full 
you know, content strategy? Because that's another hard part, especially you probably felt it when you were new too. You're like, man, we got to post stuff, but I don't want to post me every week or every yeah. day. Oh yeah. And, yep. and it's like, we got to, how do you, you know, get this ball rolling? And do you do a lot of just like, Hey, can we mind if we repost that? And you send us that picture. That's a great picture. Yeah. I love it. Like that kind of thing. I mean, obviously so, you're going to have the faithful followers, like your friends and family yep. that'll just send you mm-hmm. stuff and do whatever to help. But up yep. beyond that. Social media is social media for me is like your kryptonite for doing the brand stuff. I, I hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> you know, I absolutely cannot stand it. In the beginning, in the early stages of the brand, it was like, well, shit, either I'm going to pay someone to model these new shirts and hats or I'm going to do it myself because I'm cheap. And I ended up going that, that second route, you know? So as far as like the posting and the, the user-generated content stuff, that's um, – it's come to – well, number one, now I have someone that does it for me, which is great. If you have that in your budget, highly recommend it because you don't ever have to worry about it again. If they're doing it, they'll send you their plan of what they're going to do at the beginning of the month, and you say, cool, have fun. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, finding someone that – social media is huge, right? And there is a wrong way to run a social media page, which – um you know, I, I found pretty quickly because as soon as I turned the page over to someone that actually had the experience, we gained a lot of followers really fast. It's like, well, crap, I've been holding this thing back, you know? So I think high quality content is the most important thing. It right. doesn't matter what it is. If it's a really good looking picture of something that's super cool that pertains to your brand, that's what it's got to be not uh you know not low quality you know grainy shaky cell phone picture of something that you know high quality contents number one user generated content is is also very very important meaning when people see someone that's not related to the brand using the brand they are able to associate that person with themselves so that's that's super important. And it's not just all pictures of people that work for cutter shooting the bars, you know, like there is a place for that because you can really tailor that content to be exactly what you want. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, like hunting season's great because we get tons of photos that come in from people that have killed cool stuff and they're sharing that that photo and it feels good when a brand reposts your picture like you're like yeah yeah that's me on that company's page right and uh you know they show their buddies and it feels good so it usually doesn't take a whole lot to get user generated content the problem in lies in the off season when there is no hunting going on and you have to figure out something to post that's not stupid nonsense that people can see right through and it's just filler content you know right and so is that when you like switch things up and maybe do like educational content or entertaining content or just have some stuff in the backlog switch to shooting like events i mean indoor archery is obviously a great way to have an in-season topic when hunting is over, right? Because a lot sure. of archery leagues start up about now and run for like the next th- two or three months. 
Yep. Yeah. So definitely you nailed it. So we have obviously target season, which is, which is good. Um, I also, this year I put a really big focus on filming content for my hunts. Um, so that helps a lot, whether it's, you know, actually hunting content or just be, you know, high quality 4k B roll stuff. You can use that stuff very easily. Um, but then you have the educational stuff as well. Um, and then before too long, we're in March and April and it's Turkey season and it's, you know, spring bear season. I've got a, I've got a trip to, um, Lanai planned for May this year for Axis. So we're filling stuff in slowly, but surely. And then after that, it's, it's tack and, uh, it's that kind of content. And then we're right back into hunting season. Would you say that like social media is where the brand is built with, with a, like a direct to consumer product company, or, or do you guys have like a big YouTube page or like hundred percent social media? Yeah. YouTube page has been very, very lackluster up until this point. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, Instagram to YouTube has become easier now that YouTube does the shorts, which is, you know, vertical format, right. Minute or less video. There's your, your reel, you post it to YouTube and you're, you're done, you know? So it's a, the cross platform stuff becomes easier. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another thing that we really stressed in the growing process was that organic growth. So like I still, to this day, I will not pay someone to have an exclusivity clause. I just, it's, it's cheesy to me. It's cheap. Right. You know, I, I want these guys that are, that are using the products to use what they want. And if that's me and my products, awesome. Cool. If it's not, and you're going to use them because you're getting a paycheck from it, then that feels like a, you know, bought and paid for type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate truth that there is people out there that will hunt with the stuff that they like and then change to the products that they're getting paid for, for the trophy photos. And that's, it's unacceptable to me. And, and oh. I don't think that should ever be how it is, you know, but it yeah. does happen. I, I mean, it's, that bothers me so much that, you know, I, I only work with brands that I choose. Like I approach as you should, as it should be. I, um, and we're not huge. It's not like I'm saying like, Oh, I've turned down all these companies that wanted to work with me, but there has been a few times an entity has reached out. And a lot of times I'll know before we even start talking. And sometimes it's, it's not even like, you know, let's just say like a camo, um, inventor, a camo pattern, a camo brand reaches out and says, Hey, we'd love to work with you. Sometimes it's not even that I don't think your stuff is as good. It's just that I use this other stuff and I love it so much. I have no desire to switch. Yeah. It's I, just that Sika is the best. <laughs> well, I, I happen to be wearing a Sika sweatshirt and a Sika hat <laughs> and I wear pretty much all Sika. Um, but so like the example was like First Light, Kuyu, um, some of these other brands, I'm sure they're just as good. I'm sure, you know, yeah. if I used them, I'd be like, yeah, this stuff's great. But I love, yep. like, I, I'm so happy with what I have. I just have no desire to change. Sure. Yeah. You know? And another side of that is, like, I mean, that's a good, I, I also wear Sitka. You've got, you get to a point where you have $7,000 worth of this shit, and you don't want to change. I'm, I'm to the point where stuff to almost out again. everything's in the same pattern, too. I don't even want a new pattern. 
Oh God, I got I've got my Western stuff and my whitetail stuff at this point. And I wear I just all... very thankful that I haven't gotten into waterfowl yet because that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Although shotgun stabilizers could be an interesting thing. It's never been done yeah, before. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. No, I uh, I just wear the open country, like the 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 sheep yep. hunting pattern, because it's like halfway mm-hmm. in yep. between both. And I'll wear that waterfall hunting too. I mean, yeah. I think I got my first my first um, what is it? EV the green and the greener shade. Um, oh, or sub alpine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got my first shirt for Christmas in that color, and I was like super happy because it's my favorite like item <laughs> to wear. It's one of the yep. like ones you always wear. I'm like, eh, yep. okay. <laughs> it's a Christmas present. I love it. But, yep. but yeah, yeah, no. And then there's other companies where they'll reach out and be like, hey, you want to wear our camo? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I will never wear that. That You, yeah. you are selling yep. camo denim jeans. Like, it's, that's not going to yep. work. You know? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just won't even respond. I just, yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I won't ever sign a bow contract is, you know, I choose the bow that I'm the most excited about when it comes out. And, you know, at this point in, in my life, I, I am a new bow every year kind of person. And that's like a life goal for a lot of people, man. Like, like I it is the first to say, congrats, you made it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool. Feeling. Well, it definitely, it helps that I'm in the, bow, in the bow shop for yeah. 10 years, you know? So that's, you know, I still, I still work one day a week at the bow shop here locally. Um, in Denver and I'm lucky that it is one of the best bow shops in the country. Number one. Um, but I'm straight up with people when they come in and they, they want this, this nice stuff and they're, you know, they're looking stressed out. I'm like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not paying full retail for any of this stuff. I've told you what I use and it is top end stuff, but I'm not paying full retail and you will put yourself in a really bad place. If you try to play keeping up with the Joneses with this archery stuff. I want you to get the stuff that you can afford and upgrade when you can, you know, it's, it's a real thing that's not talked about in the industry is none of these, these influencer guys are paying for their stuff. You know, it's, it is what it is. Well, and I would say, you know, what also archery is very funny. Um, I suppose rifle is kind of the same way. Maybe I think rifle probably went through this a while ago and archery is just getting there now where you're really not getting anything new. It, like, bows yeah. have not done anything mind-breaking in the last 10, 15 years. Like, you could go and pick up a bow that was made in the last 10 years by any of the primer or the pri- the premier brands, so Hoyt Matthews, yep. PSE, Bowtech, throw a few more in there. Yep. You buy any of their bows in the last 10 years, and you're getting 95% of the quality, sure. yep. of the innovation, of the features. And that mm-hmm. bow will last you a lifetime. Yep. Definitely. And there's probably, I mean, you start to look at the math behind archery, you know, there probably isn't going to be any groundbreaking changes unless we invent new elements or new compounds. Like yep. there's only so much energy you can put into a set of limbs and right. and they're getting really close to the limit. Like you look at the math and, oh, that's, yeah. and that's why you see now bows aren't, they're not really coming out with new stuff. They're coming out with fine tuned things for different, Size people, honestly, different different yep, interests definitely. and different size people. So you can have, you know, a big dude that likes you know speed. So you give him a a thirty four inch bow that's a speed demon. You could have a yep. you know a guy that's got a twenty five inch draw and likes accuracy. So you give him a 
you know, a 28 inch bow with a higher brace sight. It, it just, yep. it, there's different people like yep. different things, but the technology really hasn't gone anywhere. I'd say crossbows is the opposite. Crossbows just went through their big jump. Like we're probably yep, getting definitely. to the end of it right now. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's, what's going to happen with, with bows is they're going to focus on efficiency and making them more quiet. I think that's the next thing is the efficiency and the, and the, the quietness of the bows. Um, yeah. Cause and I think the speed, like you said, is phenomenal. Tapped out. The speed's phenomenal. They already, they're getting pretty efficient. I mean, Oh yeah. Like yep. my wife just bought the new, a new Hoyt Venom or VTM. She's yeah. five, four and she bought a 70 pound bow. Cause it's so smooth draw. She's oh, shooting yeah. at like 60, 61 yep. pounds. And that's after two years of not pulling a bow back. Cause she was in residency. Oh yeah. She just yeah, went to the shop and are crazy. we're just like, yeah, like, yeah, the new cams, they're efficient. They're easy to draw. They're easy to store energy. They're, I mean, they're a lot quieter than they used to be 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Like Definitely. I started with the PSE baby G force. That thing was terrible to shoot. Everything about that yep. bow fought you. <laughs> yep. That was my first bow was a PSE Nova. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was slow. It was heavy. And, oh, man, they're different now. You and know, they were, got, they were, um, they were, um, they were moody, man. You had to do everything right. Oh yeah. They like yep. they did not like any. They were like forgiveness. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I remember when I switched. I went from a PSE Baby G Force, which was like a used bow when I was twelve, to a Matthews mm. Halon when I graduated college, and yep. it was like going from horses to jets. Oh yeah. Yes. It was insane the difference it made. And that's why I say oh, I yeah. think rifles went through that probably 50 years ago. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. like when you got to like the newer 300 calibers and the 270s and and like not you know, bolt actions and it's like what has changed in the hunting rifle that you couldn't have gotten 95% of decades ago, you know. Right, right. Yep. And now you're getting a couple of nuances like Creedmoors and th- PRCs and 28 nozzers they're just fine-tuning different aspects of it but it's mm-hmm. like there's only so much the only so high of a ballistic coefficient you can get with a projectile sure. going 3,000 miles per hour exactly so yeah. I think the um the chassis stuff is kind of cool I think that's kind of where people are going to start throwing their money around in the in the rifle side of oh, it. Oh, for sure. The they want something unique to them. And, and you see that with bows. You see two guys go into a bow shop, and one of them buys the black bow, the other one buys the camo bow, and they swap limbs. So now they each have half. And yep. you see all kinds of personalization, which is fine. Yep. It's still fun. It's still fun to get a new bow. For sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's – and then, like, you know, the, the accessories, I think we're seeing a lot of change. There's always innovation around accessories, um, it seems like there's always innovation around broadheads, even though it seems like the flat pieces of solid metal work pretty darn good. <laughs> Just sharpen oh, yeah. them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you see stuff like cutter, you see stuff like uh, painted arrow, different accessories to do, you know, th- tools. Not just oh, yeah. accessories, yep. but functional accessories For sure. that you see a lot of nowadays. Yep. And I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, it is. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. It is sweet to so, see. Yeah, it's fun. What yeah. is um what is next on the horizon? So you kind of it seems like you're probably exiting that like honeymoon business phase. For sure. And now yeah, it's so like, say like we our... got something rolling here. Like what's you got any big ideas that are able to share me, not like specifics, but like what are some of the thoughts? Product you have? wise, I can't I can't really share anything product wise right. right now, but I'd say that uh you know, our organic 
direct-to-consumer growth phase is tapering down. Yeah. Um, so our biggest focus is dealers at this point. Okay. Um, getting into pro shops, you know, so like I, I firmly believe that archery pro shops are what's going to keep this industry going as, as powerful as the e-com platform has become, there is no, there is no replacement for on hands, real world knowledge, which is what the pro shop guys are going to give you. So I'll always suggest that going to your pro shop and talking to the guys that have, have done it. I'll always suggest that over going on YouTube and watching a video. You know, it's because then you're just gonna <laughs> instead of going to people yeah. that have done it, you're gonna go to people that probably actually haven't done it. They're just making a video exactly. about it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. The the pro shop thing is huge. Um, getting into you know making these things more accessible for for people to to get hands on them in person is is kind of our focus now. Um, and it's, it's going well so far. You know, we started really focusing on that, you know, kind of unfortunately at the beginning of archery season last year. So it, um, made it hard to get out and hunt as much as I would like, yeah. um, because these, these dealers were finding success and it's, it's been really interesting and several dealers that we've got in touch with, they're like, Oh man, I've been waiting for you guys to call. Like, I thought you guys were only e-com like they're familiar with the products. They're familiar with the brand and they're like, thank you for calling. Like, let's get this thing going. So it's been super cool to, to see that kind of come full circle. And, you know, dealers is always the way to make your money the most efficiently, right? Because they're selling the products for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a part of me wants to fight that because you also have to pay them to sell their products for you. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's just, and, um, but I see what I you're totally saying. Do. You're saying like, I have one customer that I sell a hundred to. And so like, sure. I personally make more like dollars per hour working with dealers than putting a one yep. box together to put one unit in a, you know, one label and you know, your admin, I can see it. I don't know. Just, I had the same way. Like I tried to get into barbershops and then it was like a lot of work and it was nice when you get them in yep. and they buy 30 bottles at once. But then that, it's like, I don't know. It kind of sucks selling stuff at like 40% less or 50% yeah. less. I mean, it's, <laughs> but I get it either way. Right. Yeah. You're, you're spending your money on marketing or you're taking a hit on margins from a dealer. I suppose that's true. Like so, nothing's free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. It's time or money. Time or money for everything. And you know, yeah. if you want to save one, it's going to cost you the other. I have a sneaking suspicion. Aside from extremes, like your Spot Hog Max or your HHA Kingpin, um, but like when you're in the middle, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion. The products that sell the best at dealerships are products that are like, they can take it out of the box give it to someone they can take it in the back and shoot it three times and be like, yep. Mm-hmm. Because if there's like, for example, like if you, um, thermal mold your clamshell together and staple it like that dealer's just not going to yeah. open the box cause he can't put it back in and sell it. And For so sure. when he's like, Hey, you want to stabilize or let's go open this cutter one. Cause I can open it up. I can screw it into your bow. You can shoot it. It's still brand new. I can put it back in the box and put it on the shelf if you don't want it. But, man, if you've already got it on the guy's bow and he goes and shoots it, like, the sale is done. Yeah. Yeah, and another huge thing about um, the dealers is if you can get your stuff onto the people that work there, onto their bows, it's done. 
because that's that's where you do run into the people that walk in and they're like, hey, I got a month before I go on this mountain goat hunt. Like, what would you recommend? I see you have this on your bow. Set me up. I don't right. care. Set me up. I got to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so having you, that. Would you ahead. like give them then if that was the goal is like, hey, we really we got it. We need to get into this dealership. They want to work with us. Great. So we're going to get in. Would you even like send them a couple bars and be like, hey, these are for you guys, like you and the staff. Just shoot them, see what you like, and then like yep. just to hope that yeah, they leave so it on their bow and that's their new stabilizer. We have done that. Um, another thing that we do is um, we offer like a demo display set up for dealers. Oh, um, so they don't even have to open the box. Huge. They just take one out it's of the huge. thing. And... Yeah. Yeah, so it's on like a nice display with a cool sign um, at the shop here in Denver at No Limits. Um, I can't even tell you how many times that has come in because choosing the right length and weight for stabilizer, how the heck do you know if you don't try it? You yeah. know? And obviously, most of the, the people at, at the higher end, they have access to you know, either several different lengths and weights or they have a pile <laughs> of weights at home or whatever. Um but giving the average consumer the opportunity to screw on all five different lengths and change weights around and figure it out, that's it's huge. And you, you give them, again, you give them the power to get exactly what they want. Oh, yeah. I've heard um, – I don't know where I heard it. I wish I knew because it would probably speak to how credible it is. But I've, I, I don't know if you drive a Ford pickup or not. Not that I'm judging you if you don't. I drive one. But Ford has, and I'm sure all the other companies have it too, where they have the build your own truck app yep. on their website. And you can go and yep. build any kind of truck you want. And I've heard it said that like if someone takes the time to build a truck, they're like double digit percentages more likely to eventually buy that truck. For sure. And I've yeah. built millions of trucks on there. I've I've never <laughs> actually only bought one of them. But it worked. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. What did it cost yeah. them? Two dollars for my time right. on their website, you know, building trucks yep. over the years, and I've bought right. I bought one of them, brand new trucks. So, but it's the same sure. thing with your system. Like, by the time they get through that process and they've like tried on two or three different bars and maybe switched out a couple different weights and then maybe added a back bar, and by the time they get done with that, like again, once again, the sale is done. Like they've they've figured it yep. out and they've got that personal investment into this process of this decision. Um, and they, and they like the way shooting, right? Like they're always striving better. And then all of a sudden you like, what are they going to take it all off? And then not no, that like, it just, you know, yep. this, it's almost like social engineering in a way. For sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, I got a shop. I'm going to be going there tomorrow night. I'll let them, I'll look, I'll go check their stabilizer section, see what they got. And on the off chance that they don't have yours yet, I'll get you guys in touch. It's not where, a big uh, shop. Where are you located? Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. It's not a huge shop. It's not the archery countries are pretty big around here. It's not archery country. It's a little yep. smaller one, but they do 3D league and okay. stuff there too. So it's they have like a full cool. course. Sweet. Yeah, we're working on getting up into the Midwest a little bit more. Um, I think as of now we're at like 17 dealers around the country. So getting up in the Midwest is is a big focus and my business partner and his family is all up from Minnesota and Wisconsin. So, Oh really? That's what's next. Yep. Awesome. Well maybe it, we're right on the border of Wisconsin. So maybe you guys are already, already in there, which would be sweet. Yeah. That'd be cool. But yeah, let me know and, uh, give you a full setup if you get us into a dealer. Hey, that'd be sweet. Um, I will, um, I'll give them your contact information, talk to them a little bit, but, 
before that, before we wrap up this this uh, podcast, give the listeners a chance to follow along. What's the website? What's the latest and greatest news? And, and what do you want folks to know before we wrap up? Yeah, so um, easiest way to, to shop our products is our website, cutterstabilizers.com. Uh, Instagram is cutterstabilizersofficial. We're on YouTube. Um, you should just search cutterstabilizers and it'll come up. Um, we've got the, um, I'm working on the video for that Nebraska hunt kind of as we speak. So that'll be coming up there shortly. And then, uh, as far as like new exciting stuff coming up, um, other than event stuff, like we're going to a couple tax and uh, a couple other, you know, 3d style events kind of out here in the West coast and Western state stuff. But other than that, um, yeah, we got a couple products that are in the works. Can't really speak on any of that stuff right now, but I think it'll be be some really awesome stuff that will make some people excited. Awesome. Well, we will put links to all those places in the show notes for anyone that wants to go check out their new stabilizer that they're going to order. Um, and also, it might work out good for your business partner if he's from the Wisconsin-Minnesota area. There is a big 3D bow fest. I think it's actually called Bow Fest. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys are already there. I was going to say it'd be a great, it's kind of like attack, probably not quite as big as attack, but it'd be like the Midwest version of attack. And yeah. And cool um, yeah, boat fest is like, it's like a country festival, country music festival too, isn't it? I think there is like five, it's, I think it's like five days and there's a lot of music. Yeah, yeah. I've never been there. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to go this year, but, um, I have yeah, heard that it's so like I've a heard, too. I've heard that that's kind of gone downhill from what it used to be because like it used to be this like woodstock of bow hunting and music stuff back in the heyday and i've i've heard that it's not been as good lately so you'll have to let me know of how it is this year and yeah i'll let you know i'm sure covid next wrecked a whole bunch of stuff oh yeah probably so but yeah awesome well once again thank you for being here today earl and thank you guys for listening folks 